So please grab your Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. This is an important transition passage in the book of Ephesians. Like many of the writings of the Apostle Paul, he moves from what theologians call the indicative, the the statement of what God has done for us in the gospel, to the imperative. Therefore, this is how you ought to live in light of the grace of God. You actually see the word Therefore, as the the second word in my English translation in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I, therefore. And there's a cliche in Bible interpretation that says, when you see a therefore, you need to ask what it is there for. And it's the same thing here, this, this therefore. What is it there for? What is it pointing to in the preceding context? And commentaries agree that Paul is pointing back to chapter 1 all the way through chapter 3. That he's saying, in light of everything that we've been saying about the sovereignty of God in election, about the grace of God in Christ applied by the Spirit, we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together in Christ, that we are one body in Christ through the gospel. Therefore, how does this impact the way that we live. And we miss that in some ways when we preach as we have so slowly through a book. That if this was offered as a sermon, if you read from chapter 1 through chapter 6 of Ephesians, you would get this, this turn to application. But really, this is it's not a secondary matter, this, this ordering. That this is at the very heart of Christianity. That if we reverse these things, it would be a completely different religion. Because every other religion roots the indicative in the imperative. In other words, it says, this is what you ought to do, therefore, this is what God thinks about you. Therefore, you're accepted by God. But Christianity says, This is what God has done for you. This is who you are in him by grace alone, through faith alone. Therefore, this is how you should live, how you should conduct yourself. It's so key for our understanding of Christianity. So now let's let's turn to our text and I'll I'll read our passage. So this is chapter 4. We'll look today at verse 1 through verse 3. I, therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we want to walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling. And we thank you for not leaving us alone in this task, that you have given us your word, your word that is truth, your inerrant, truthful word. And so, Father, we pray for illumination of the Spirit today, 
that you would help us to, to walk in love as we study this text. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So whenever we think about reading the Bible, it involves two activities. So on the one hand, we have, we have an open book in front of us if you're using a, a paper Bible, that the pages are open and your, your eyes are, are scanning the page. There is, there is meaning encoded on the, through the ink on the page. So you're examining it with your eyes. But in a way, you can think about your heart as a book as well. And the call as we, as we read the Bible is not simply to have the book open in front of us, but it's to take the book of our heart, that we open the book of our heart before the Word of God, and that the, the Word of God is living, it's active, and the, the Word of God searches the book of our heart, that the Word of God examines our heart. And so today, as we, as we look at this text, I want to suggest two ways that we can examine the book of our heart through this text. So first, we should examine our call. And then second, we should examine our walk in light of that call. So first, opening up our hearts under the word of God, we are to examine our call. Look in your Bible at verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You see that language of call. He says, calling to which you have been called. Or if you look down in chat verse 4, he talks about just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. There's a lot of language of calling here in this text. And very helpfully, as we read the Bible, there are two types of call according to the Bible. There's what we could call the, the general call, the outward call of the gospel, and that's the call of the gospel that comes through ministers, through evangelists, through human agency as people explain the Bible, explain the gospel. And it comes in, it hits the human heart and calls us to repentance and faith. And the great image of that is that the parable of the sower from our Lord Jesus. You'll remember the parable where the sower goes out to sow the sower represents the one who is proclaiming the word of God. The, the seed represents the word of God itself. And as that word goes forth, it hits many types of soil that represent human hearts. Some respond, some don't respond. And it has to do with the quality of the soil. Is it rocky? Are there thorns? And for the good soil, it's where the word of God hits the human heart. It grows and it bears fruit. That's the external, outward call of the gospel. Some respond, some don't. 
But the Bible also talks about an internal call. Sometimes it's called the effectual call. And listen to how the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines it. Effectual call is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our eyes in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. That's the effectual call. And one of the, the classic images of the effectual call is Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus in the book of John. Jesus comes to the tomb. He's been dead for three days. And Jesus calls into the tomb, Lazarus, come out. He hears the call, and he's not going to then remain in the tomb once he has heard the call, that he's been brought from death to life, and he comes out into the light of the day. And that's the image biblically as well. You can think of the book of Ezekiel, the, the valley of dry bones, and the, the word of God, the word of the Spirit goes over the bones, and flesh comes onto the bones, and it rises up into an army. You can think of this as the call of the Spirit that brings us from spiritual death to spiritual life, that gives us eyes to see. We, were, we once were blind spiritually, but now we can see by the grace of God. And it's effectual that when that internal call of the Spirit hits the human heart, that we will respond. It's what Jesus says in John 6, that all the Father give to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That is all that the Father gives. All that receive that internal effectual call will turn to the Lord. Now, as you think about this, remember we said that we are to open our hearts before the word of God. Paul is talking about the calling to which you have been called. And so the question is, are you called? You can think of that first type of call. Have you received the external outward call of the gospel to repentance and faith? The outward call says that we are sinners, that we can't save ourselves. It says that heaven is a free gift. It's not earned or deserved. The outward call says that God is, is loving, but he's also just and must punish our sin. The outward call says that those two, the love of God and the justice of God, come together in Jesus, entering in the world as truly God and truly man to live the life that we can never live. He dies a sacrificial death on the cross, and then he pays the penalty for our sin. He purchases eternal life, and that we take hold of Christ by faith, which isn't just a head knowledge. It's not just a temporary faith, but it's trusting in Christ alone for salvation. That's the gospel. And today as one called to proclaim the gospel, I offer that to each and every one of you, this outward call of the gospel, that I call you to repent and to believe in Jesus. 
to stop trusting in yourself, to trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation as the only hope in life and in death. But then the question is, will you respond to that call? And that's where the internal call, the effectual call comes in. Because it says in the book of John chapter 3 that unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God that you must be born again. But that's not something that we can do in and of ourselves. We receive it. But today, if you feel the slightest desire for Christ, that if you want to be called to Jesus, if you, if you want to, to know him and the power of his resurrection, then that's a sign that God is already at work in your heart. And if you're here as a believer who has trusted in Jesus, It's a sign that God has given you eyes to see, that you have been called both in the external call, but also with the internal call of the Holy Spirit, that you have the calling, the hope of God that is yours in Christ through the gospel. So this is where then we have to to turn to the the next area of examination then. Because remember I said first that we need to examine our call. Have we received the outward call? Have we received the inner call? Have we responded to that call? But then remember the application. How are we to live in light of this? So we need to examine our walk. So look at verse 1 again in your Bible. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk. And I love the word walk as an image for the Christian life. I think that it's, it's a perfect image for the Christian life. Because think of all the other words that we could have used. And the Bible uses other words. This isn't the only word. But he could have said that we exist according to our call. Or we subsist in our call. Or he could have said that we sprint or we run or we sit, or we stand. And again, the Bible uses those images at various times. But there's something powerful about this imagery of walking. Remember the book of Genesis, Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. This is how the Bible speaks of true believers, to walk with God. And not to read too much into that image, but there is something about it. We're not moving backward. We're not staying in the same place. But there's this slow advance, one step at a time. You take one step forward, another step forward. And so often that is the experience of the Christian life. You don't know exactly where you're going. It's slow progress, but you're taking one step after another dying more and more to sin and self, living more and more to righteousness in Christ. That is the Christian life. But then look again at your Bible and notice how we are to walk. He says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Worthy of the calling to which we have been called. That is a high calling because we have been called by the name of Christ, that we're called Christians, 
We bear the name of Christ. We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is our identity in Christ. And so we're to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Science has demonstrated that when people wear a uniform for their job, they act different. Uh, They behave differently in a uniform. One website said that by wearing uniforms, they not only identify themselves with the business, but they also serve as the brand ambassadors and the, the face of the company. This can both empower and motivate them to serve customers in a more professional manner. Because when you have on the scrubs as a doctor, people see you as a medical authority. You're operating as a a doctor. You could go any kind of uniformed officer. That there's there's something about the uniform that says, no, I'm, I'm representing something bigger in my work. I can't act the same way. And that's how we can think about the Christian life, that we have on the uniform of Christ, that we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We have put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are sent out as his ambassadors in the world, that we are called to represent the brand of Christ, as it were, in the world. And that's what Martin Luther says that, Whenever we face temptation, Luther says to respond to Satan, I am a Christian. That's how we respond. I'm going to live in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which I have been called. Then you say, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to live, to walk in a manner worthy of our call? Well, look at how Paul defines this in our text. Verse 1 again, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, call you, exhort you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That is how we're called to live. Let's walk through what Paul says, each word individually. So first he says that we're called to walk with all humility. And commentaries point out that this word translated humility in English is always used in a pejorative sense in non-Christian Greek literature. This was not a Greek virtue This was not a Roman virtue, and that it's only in Christian literature where this word is coined as a a virtue, as something that we should aspire to. And that's significant because it's humility that is a unique Christian virtue as we follow in the footsteps of Christ. That if you are called a Christian, the call is to walk in humility toward one another. Then look at the next word. He says that we are also to walk with all gentleness. Gentleness is defined like this in the original language. It's defined as the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. 
the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. That's what we're, we're called to. Don't be overly impressed that we're to be called to a, a, a gentleness, a, a kindness, to be, to be gentle to those around us, to our children, to our spouse, to our waiter, our friends, our family. But then look at the next word. He says that third, we're called to walk with patience, the opposite of impatience. Listen to how this word is defined. It's the state of remaining tranquil while awaiting an outcome. The state of remaining tranquil while awaiting an outcome. What outcome are you awaiting? Maybe you're waiting for a diagnosis. Maybe you're waiting for the birth of a child. Maybe you're waiting for a job offer to come back. Maybe you're waiting to finish school. Maybe you're waiting for retirement. Maybe you're waiting for a child to finally come back to the fold and to trust in Jesus as those who were raised in the faith but have walked away. Paul's saying that we're called to remain tranquil as we await an outcome to patience. And I love the way the King James renders it. It says, long suffering. And that captures it so well that we are to suffer long in our life, in our walk. To suffer long. But then next, he says that we are to walk in a way in which we, we bear with one another in love. And that's part of patience as well, bearing with one another in love. But that's the opposite of giving up on other people. Because we, we're unwilling to bear with them. We, we push them away. We're harsh with them. But Paul says, no, if you've been called, if you're called by the name of Christ, you're to bear with one another. So what does it mean to bear with your spouse or to bear with your children or to bear with your coworker? to bear with other people within the church, to bear with them in love, to not give up on them, to not abandon them, but to continue in that relationship, showing the love of Christ. And finally, Paul says that we should walk in a way that is eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That if you are a Christian, if you bear the name of Christ, Paul says that Christian unity is going to be one of the marks of, of walking in this manner worthy of your call to maintain the unity of the Spirit, the, the unity of believers. And that's where Paul's going, and we'll look at his foundation of this more next time, but you can see that he roots it in the reality of God. There's one body, one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, and therefore, we should walk in unity among believers, worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Now then, as we, as we pull all of this together, I want you to see that, that this is very different than we would think of as the picture of a believer. Because often we focus on outward religiosity as the mark of a true Christian. That what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of your call? 
Well, it means that you read your Bible, and that's important. We should read our Bibles. It means that you maintain a prayer life, and we should maintain a prayer life. It means that you go to church, that you're generous with the things that God has given you. These are important activities of the Christian life. But it's significant that that's not what Paul's focusing on here. He doesn't say, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, go to church, read your Bible, memorize scripture, follow religious activities. But he focuses on this interpersonal relationship one to another, that are we, are we humble? Are we gentle? Are we patient? Are we bearing with one another in love? Are we maintaining unity among believers? Because this is something that we can't manufacture. This is something that if you hang out with somebody long enough, you're going to know the answer to these questions. You'll see whether they're walking in this manner of living or not. As people walk with you, they're going to know, are you living like this? Are you living in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called? And the degree to which we all fall short of this walk, the degree to which we're, we're walking very slowly, or maybe even at times we're taking steps back in the Christian life, the call is to go back over and over again to, the, to what Jesus has done for us to root ourselves again in the therefore of verse 1, to remember that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but that God has made us alive, that by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that each and every person in this room has heard the external call of the gospel. Each and every person here has been called to repentance and faith. But Lord, we know that unless you are working in the heart, that we cannot respond to that. So Father, we pray that for those who hear this message, that your effectual call would come that you would bring them from spiritual death to spiritual life, that you would give us faith that we would know that those whom you predestined, you call, those whom you call, you justify, those whom you justify, you glorify, that we would see the path all the way from the plan of redemption to glory and our call in the midst of that. So Lord, let no one leave here without your call. But then also, Lord, we know that as those who are called, who bear the name of Christ, who have on the uniform of the righteousness of Christ that have been adopted into your family, that our, our last name is ultimately Christian, child of God, redeemed, washed by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, let us not only talk the talk, but walk the walk of your Spirit. Let us walk in love. Let us walk in humility and gentleness. Let us bear with one another we pray for the, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace 
to be what characterizes not only Hope Church, but our Presbytery of PCA churches, our denomination, and all of those throughout the world who know Christ, who walk in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you would give us the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, that you would be glorified. So, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.